Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day that you have made for us to be in the house of God. Thank you, Lord, that you have created a place and a gathering of those who love you and believe in you and desire you in their lives. Father, you have called us the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Outside of that, things are stale. They're bland. They have no taste, no richness, no light. Everything is in darkness. So we pray this morning that we, Father God, might hear your voice and that your word might transform us. For you said that we're not to eat and live by bread alone, by, by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. That is our true nourishment, the bread of life. We pray, Father God, that we would be well-nourished, that we would be strong, that we would grow, and we would come to the, the, the fullness, Lord, the full expression of what you intended when you said, let us make man in our image and likeness. And Father, we thank you for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Last week, we celebrated big, Lord. We celebrated large, your salvation in your life. This week, Father God, give us the right perspective to go forward in the days to come. I give you thanks for what's going to happen this week, Lord. F family and friends will come, Lord, and they will join in our celebration for 20 years. So we just pray that your name would be lifted up and that your presence would be manifest and that your glory would fill the earth like the waters cover the sea, Lord. Bless your word and let it not return void, Lord. Let it be a good seed planted in good heart that will reap good fruits that glorify your name, Lord. Give us a desire to be searched out by your word, Lord, examined by your truth, and that your truth would set us free this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I can't help but to talk about the expression of God's perfection based on last week's celebrating the resurrection. And, and, and what does this embody that Jesus would come back from the grave? He took the most disgusting thing that could happen to mankind, which is the corruption of death, and he prevailed with victory over it in a powerful manner. The Bible says that he descended into hell and he made a public spectacle of the devil and all the demons, taking back the keys of life. He went down those three days that he was in the tomb. It's, it's one of my favorite descriptions in the entire Bible that he would go and take from the devil what he stole from man in the garden. We all know the story of Adam and Eve where he deceived them and then sin entered the world. But Jesus now says that where sin entered in through one man, God's perfect life would enter in through Jesus Christ, the second Adam, or rather the last Adam. He was doing something miraculous. And that strikes us at odds when we see that before putrefied and corrupt, rotten death, you have Jesus, the immortal, incorruptible life. And so that's what stands before us this morning. Nothing short of this concept of perfection and this really rubs us wrong, a call to perfection. 
If there was no standard, and that's what I tried to tell the piano man yesterday, that there's a standard to tune the piano. The pitching fork has one sound, and that one sound is used to perfect every other key in the grand piano. And that perfect sound is Jesus Christ. That perfect life is the Lord. And, and his victory on, at the death was amazing. When we talk about perfection, some people tune out and say this is unattainable. It offended me when I walked into a Christian church for the first time and the Lord was calling me to a perfect life. I said, Lord, you picked the wrong person. I'm not into perfection. I'm to everything that falls short of perfection. And so this was a real challenge for me. And so what I did, I decided to play a con on the Lord and say, it's all on you and nothing on me. And he accepted the challenge. I said, Lord, it's impossible. And then he says, with man, these things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He's able to do a perfect work in us. We're 35 years into that direction. The process of, of making things flawless without defect. In Deuteronomy 32.4, God had told his people, and this is Old Testament, so we're talking about the same thing, that he was a perfect God. He is a solid rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are right. There's nothing wrong about his ways. And God, the God of truth, is without injustice. He's righteous and upright. This was, this was the, the pitch fork, that, uh, the tuning fork, rather, that, the, that, that he would raise up to his people saying, this is the right standard. This is the right standard. And in all his ways, he's perfect. And so um, one of the things that Bill Gother says, he's a, a great preacher, he's famous. He says, if you want to depress man, all you have to do is to look upon things in this world from a man's perspective. That's depression. You want to get depressed, start, sit in your humanistic seat and judge creation. But he says, if you want to be uplifted with an inexpressible joy, which would be the opposite of depression, sit where God sits and look from a heavenly perspective what God has said. And so that's why the Bible says he has seated us together with Christ in the heavenly places. There's always a God's perspective of things. And 35 years ago, I decided to sit there. So when people come up and tell me anything, I will sit there and I'll say, you know something? God could handle it. God could take care of business. We could entrust it to him. And so he had that perspective from day one. I love to read Hebrews 1.3, which says that Jesus is the manifest radiance of God's glory. Being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, the translation says the exact imprint of his nature. We need to start there because uh, that would allow us to move in his direction. For our calling, our calling is to be like him. Our calling is to be like Jesus. So that's why uh, Paul says, I haven't got there yet, but I'm going to go, I'm going to press forward towards that direction. We already have the model of perfection. You don't have to improve on it. 
as you draw nearer and nearer to be like Jesus Christ, I promise you the expressions on those at your latter sides and surrounding you will be super overwhelmed by the goodness of God in your life. He's the express radiance of the glory of God. As people are always chasing things, and, and your greatest pursuit in life is to capture him. A lot of people are pursuing Michelangelo and Picasso and expressions of music and fashion. But he is the radiance of perfection in all of its glory, the exact nature, upholding the entire universe by his powerful word. Every expression that needs to be put in its right place, it's a, it's a flowing out of Christ. And then he sits at the right hand of God in the heavens, the Bible says. One of the things that we saw on Wednesday was in John chapter 9, as uh, Jesus um, is confronted by his followers, and they say, um, Lord, this guy is missing some capacity to see um, they, they saw his defect in, a, in an expression that caused them to come to Jesus and ask a question. Let's go to John chapter 9, verse 1. And it says, And Jesus passed, and he saw a man who was blind from birth. You both, you know and I know, that when we see anything that is flawed and defective, that strikes us as strange why would this thing be missing its eyes why why doesn't he have the capacity for vision and this guy started like that from the start from birth he's missing a important component of a human expression verse Three, Jesus answered, oh no, let's go verse two, I'm sorry. Um, the, the disciples came and asked him saying, Rabbi, why is this guy defective? Why is, his, why is he flawed? Why is he messed up? I don't, I don't know if you ever, ever um, ask that question. Every time they grab a serial killer, they, they want to interview his parents because they figure that that's where he came from. This last uh, shooting at Parkland School, uh, Stoneman Douglas, they said, where's his parents? Oh, they, he, he never had parents. He was adopted. Where's his adoptive parents? Oh, they died. So everybody always wants to find the, the origin of the flaw. Who made this mess? And so the disciples also were inquiring. And, and, and you and I inquire when things are twisted. Disciples asking them, Jesus, who sinned? Was it his original expression or was it his parents? Uh, you would have to agree with me that many parents do horrendous things to cause their children to be super defective. Um, Stalin, Joseph Stalin, uh, was in Sunday school learning how to be a Christian. He wanted to grow up to be a pastor and his dad pulled him out of Sunday school, beat his daylights beat his mom, was severe, causing so much bitterness to come into his heart, he would hate God, Joseph Stalin, become an atheist. He was in seminary wanting to become a priest. 
And his father took him out of there and he created and he furthered communism and all this atheistic existence upon the earth. No more evil man than the amount of people that this man killed. But it was the defect of his parents, his father primarily. So when we see anything twisted, we want to know what caused this twistedness. What caused these people to be like they are? And so here Jesus responds, and it's awesome because he says, verse 3, neither this man messed up nor his parents, but so the works of God should be revealed in him. The expression is, I'm about to do something that will show neither his flaw nor his parents' flaw. It will be my glory that will be manifest. It will be displayed in him. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. I, I, I you know... Because we're celebrating our 20th anniversary, um, th these past couple of weeks, we've been getting a lot of the pictures when we started as a church. And, and there are small pockets of time and seasons that transpired in, in the last 20 years that I, I believe if, if, if we understood how brief those periods of time were, we would have taken more advantage. Not me, but a lot of people. In other words, we don't know what the next five years bring. So let's give it all to the Lord now because this will pass too. With every season of our church, we've, we've changed the walls. We've painted it. Oh, remember when we had a big dove and clouds? Remember when we had vases and it was like a, a, the clay pots and, and the streams of water? And remember when we did this play? Remember when we did that play? And we remember pockets of time and people sit there and not participate of anything. And 20 years have passed, and, and we're closer today than when we first started. And nothing seems to be significant to justify not to partake with the most incredible expression of excellence. This is, this is what we try to do, and, and the vision of this church, if you were to read it, uh, a, a, an atmosphere and setting where people will give their best to God. There's no restraint, no restriction, no limitations. Do everything God wants you to do before you get to heaven. So that you hear words, well done. Good and faithful servant. Perfection is the expression of Christ's purpose in you. And Jesus says, we only have a small amount of time. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent us. While it is this day, because night is coming when no one can work. We, we had the expression of of uh, the national, um, it, was, it was the Association for Marriage Enhancement name out of Phoenix, Arizona. Leo Gossage and Molly Gossage would lead that for 10 years. And a trip to Africa ended his life unexpectedly and prematurely. And so what happened to those that didn't participate those 10 years? It's over. It's over. Whatever expression it was. And I, I thought in my heart, in my mind, I would be serving with Leo till we were old men. 
elderly men, and we would rejoice and fight the battles of the Lord together. He was a fierce servant of the Lord, but it's gone. He's gone. It was hard for Molly to do a marriage ministry without a husband. So she passed it on to some assistants, her right-hand people. So I want to say, what are you doing to make sure that you're striving for the expressions of perfection in Christ? What, what is it that, that is flawed in your life that you're making more of an issue than what you have as a strength? And so when I first got saved, I, I, was, I was overwhelmed and blown away by Matthew 5, 48. Uh, imagine the, the manifest expression of things flawed. That's me. And I come to church and I hear a verse, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The call to be a Christian is not to be a religious attender of a local church one hour during the week. There's 168 hours. You go to church for a couple of hours on Sunday. You feel, wow, I'm, I'm the expression of, of the manifest perfection. No. When, when Jesus told his followers, be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect, this stands as a contrast to everything we know. Which means that there is a standard. There is a standard and a measure which is not the pastor. A lot of people love to get real close to the pastor to prove that he is not perfect. Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. My Bible says that God picked the worst to be leaders. Does your Bible say the same thing? Absolutely. Because if you were not flawed like I'm flawed, you wouldn't put up with so many flawed people. You would throw the towel and quit. You'd be in shock. What? You wouldn't have hope. You wouldn't have love. You wouldn't have patience. So God calls those things that are super out of order to bring them into order. And when the men show up at my office and says, Pastor, I'm just not, I'm not able to live like Christ. I say, I know. I know that's why he said he would live it through you. It's not what you do. It's what he does. Philippians 1.6 says, I will perfect the good work I started in you before the day of my coming. But he uses the word again. Not only does he say here, be perfect like God is perfect. Philippians 1.6 says, he who started the good work in you will perfect it. That word complete is a, is a better is a better description of the word perfect. That means he brings you to the fullness, to maturity. Perfection is being where you should be when you should be there. If you're 15 years old and still wearing pampers, there's something wrong. But if you're six months old and wearing pampers, it's perfect because you're a baby. And in every season, there is a measure that you should measure yourself up against. We're confident that he who began this good work in us, that decided that being flawed, he would perfect us. He would complete this work. He would perfect it. Romans 8.29 says that those he called and he foreknew, 
those whom he foreknew and predestined so they might conform to the image of his son. Our calling is to perfection, that he might receive the firstborn amongst many brethren. So you, you sit there and you say, okay, pastor, what are you trying to say this morning? I'm saying that Jesus is the manifest radiance of God's perfection. And you calling yourself a Christian is one who is heading in that direction. We're not there yet. We haven't, we haven't gotten to that place. Look what he says in Philippians Paul is describing this process, and he says like this, Philippians 3.12, not that I'm already there. Not that I'm already there, or that I'm already perfected. Look at what he says there is. I haven't attained it. I'm not perfect yet. But do, can we say this morning that we understand that when Jesus raised from the dead, he said like this, he, he stood before all of creation and he says, I'm the embodiment of that which God is able to do through me in you. And he stood there as the model of perfection. We don't, you know, a, a lot of humans love to say this word. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody says, nobody's perfect. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Next time they say that, could you say they're a liar? Because you could tell them Jesus is perfect. I can't stand when people tell me, nobody's perfect, pastor. Yes, there is. His name is Jesus. And we're called to be like Jesus. We're called to imitate him. He's the standard. He's the measure. When I was talking to the piano man, I said, you have a tuning fork, and it has that sound, and all the pianos... In, in fact, all the musical instruments are tuned to that one sound that a tuning fork elicits. He kept on banging it up against his head because he would bang it. It would go, and he would put it on his forehead, this gentleman that was tuning the piano. Because he was trying to get that first note because if that first note is wrong, everything else is wrong. And if Jesus is not the first expression of perfection in your life everything else you do is wrong he's the standard i'm not the standard i'm to imitate the standard paul tells the corinthian church imitate me as i imitate christ and so these things are depressing in one aspect of it you look at anything flawed uh, we were looking at at um these Miss Universe pageants, and they ask them questions, and they come up with these dumb answers, and you're like, man, she's so pretty. I wish she would just be quiet. <laughs> because she opens her mouth, she ruins everything. Her beauty even goes out the door with the flawed aspect. So we're all flawed. Tell your neighbor I'm flawed. Come on. Let, you're like Fonzie. I'm you don't want to say it. Tell your neighbor I'm really flawed. But Jesus is perfect. And I love Jesus and I'm, I'm headed in his direction. That's, that's, what, that's what happens in the resurrection. And so people are all depressed because their husband is flawed. Hello, hello, hello. They say that every wedding starts with two lies. The man is standing at the front waiting for his bride to come down the aisles. She appears, the sanctuary is open, and she looks up there to that guy and says, I'm going to change him. <laughs> That's the first lie. 
And then he looks back and he sees her coming through the gates and he says, she's perfect. That's the second lie. Isn't that horrible? We're in a fallen, chaotic, screwed up world and we think we're justified in having the expressions of being depressed and upset because things are out of order. The hope comes in when we saw Jesus raised from the dead last week. And that he now is our example. Ephesians 5.1. This God who revealed himself. Paul writes, follow and be imitators of God. Imitate this standard of perfection. Make sure your life is an expression of excellence. Someone has said that we can, and I was telling the, I'm sorry for the piano man, but that he was the issue yesterday. He could come and make the piano perfect. And, and, and he was worried about getting paid too. Because when you do things right, you expect to get remunerated. And he goes, where's my check? Where's my check? I say, hey, don't worry about it. Your check is taken care of. And as he was walking out, I said, you see how perfect you, he says, I did a great job on your piano. I said, I'm super happy. And, and, he, and you got really good paid. You got paid for that, right? Yeah. I said, isn't it sad that my piano is tuned, that you got paid high price for it, and that your life is a disaster? That your life is not tuned? How could you have joy about the work that you do, but when you go home, you have a disaster at home? I told him. How is it that God has an opportunity to lead you to put things right in your life? I, I want to tell you something, and, and this is my inspiration for marriage ministry. I love my marriage. I enjoy my marriage. Me and Yvette have a blast. We have peace. We have joy. Uh, you could ask my children. They want a wife like Yvette, and Christina's thinking about a husband like me. <laughs> but this is only because of God's measure and standard in his word. The expression of Christ, as he says, husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church. He's the, he's the perfect standard. And so any woman married to Christ is a blessing. But maybe not every Christ married to every woman would be a, 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 a soothing experience. Well, my Bible says, wives, respect your husbands as you would the Lord. That's the standard of perfection. So you don't have, well, he's not the Lord. Yeah, but the Lord says to do that. That's the standard. That's the measure. That's, that's the fine-tuning. Imitate God. And so in this regards, we're challenged severely. Psalms 18, verse 30, as we imitate God, it says like this, because his ways are perfect. Why do, why do we to imitate God and be perfect? Be perfect as God, as your Father in heaven is perfect, because his ways are perfect. The word of the Lord is solid. He never speaks out of time, out of season. He is a shield. He protects all those who put their confidence in him. 
If you ask me why God would tell you to be perfect as he is perfect, it says, it, it says why here in Psalm 37, 37. I hope you memorize this, this verse. Why does God want us to be perfect as he is perfect? He says, make sure that you, when it says here, mark the blameless man, mark the perfect man. Observe the upright for his future, the future of this man is peace. That's why God wants you to do things right. Because he doesn't want you to lose your peace. He doesn't want you to lose your joy. He doesn't want you to lose your fruitfulness and prosperity. And when Jesus raised from the dead, he became the embodiment of the manifest perfection of God. And we worship him. And we want to be like him. And we want to learn his ways. One of the first commandments is to love God. And, and I have an issue with love because I don't think that we know what love is. And so I went to the bookstore and some of the, you know that. I, I have told this story before. I said, I'm going to go find out what love is. And I go to Barnes and Nobles and I go to the love section. I thought... Maybe some people think I'm weird, looking for love in all the wrong places. And I read books and read books and read books and read books. I walked away two hours later, and it says, if you ever want to love something, spend time with it. That's how you love things. Spend time with those you desire to love. And so if we're talking in the context of Growing in perfection and growing and being like Christ, we need to spend time with him. Spend time with Christ. You can tell a person that spend time with Christ because they're sweet. They're people that, that, that have a joy. It's not based on what you bring to the table. It's based on who they've fellowshiped with, and that's Christ. That's Christ. And it doesn't matter how you try to get them upset and how you try to push their buttons. It's not going to happen. They've been in a presence, and that presence exudes with peace. I love the story of the blind man because when the disciples are sitting there saying, Lord, uh, how is this flawed scenario going to take place? He goes, well, this, this has to do so that the works of God might be displayed, and that I work during the day and not at night when nobody else could work. Verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, John 9, 5, I am the light of the world. I'm going to open the eyes of the blind. I'm going to give direction. I'm going to point the way. Uh, yesterday, the, the water main out here broke, and the guys were fixing it, and I went over to talk to them. And at first, they were like, oh, we're not into religion. We're not into religion. I began to tell them what we're doing in this place, and they started seeing that all we're doing in this place is directing people to the right place we're pointing to the fountain of perfection for their lives regardless man the the, the amount and the descriptions of things that are skewed in this world and that, that that there would be an address that people could come to with their problems remember when the church first started uh, uh, my one of my family members found out that we were starting the church and he called me and told me off he says what are you doing I said, the Lord called me to start a work. He says, you don't need that. You don't need that. You're a lawyer. You have a marriage that's just started. You have young kids. You don't need to carry with people's problems. 
You don't need that. I, I don't know the church is a place where people come when they're doing well. They, they don't come. Every, every time I meet a guy that comes to the door, he's like, well, I used to own a multi-million dollar company. I had three, what happened? I became a drug addict, drug addict and lost it all. I cheated on my wife and lost it all. Well, but do you have something to give here? Yeah. I need the church to help me pay my light bill. I need the church to help me with my car payments. I need the church to help me with my groceries. I need the church. You're like, brother, why don't you go next door and knock and take your mess next door? You know why? Because they don't have answers. But in this place, Jesus is arms open, inviting all to come to him because he has a perfect end to all of our lives. He has the expression of everything we need to reach to perfection. It was, it was amazing, this, this passage here, because it goes in line with what we're talking about. A, a man comes up to Jesus, and he says like this. He says, hey, Lord, Matthew 19, 21. This is a rich young ruler, and he comes up to Jesus. And let's go back a couple verses to verse 19, maybe. And he, he approaches, verse 18, 17. Let's go to the beginning when, when, when he, yeah, that's it right there. Let's go to 16 real quick. So behold, one person came to Jesus, says, good teacher, what good thing shall I uh, do that I might have eternal life? And Jesus points at him. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into the life, into eternal life, keep the commandments. Verse 18. And he said to him, which ones? You shall not murder, Jesus says. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear witness. There's, there's a way to live life keeping the ordinance of God's word, his commandments, honor your father, mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All these things are good. Verse 20. The young man said, all these I have kept from the time I was a young person. What do I still lack? What's missing? Why am I not happy yet? Why don't I live in the expression of satisfaction? And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect. Look at this measure from not knowing the word of God to knowing the word of God to keeping the word of God. And now that's still not enough. And Jesus says, well, if, if you want the full expression, I want to ask a question this morning. How many of you guys are going for the bullseye, for the gold? Are you settling with just being an Olympian, just participating, just getting a bronze medal, a silver medal, or are you going for the gold? And if you're going for the gold, are you running in such a manner? A lot of people want to compare ourselves to each other. Well, I'm better than, than Blas, and Nick is better than me, and Jonathan is struggling, but Joey is coming, Jimmy, what, what, Joshua. You know, we, we all compare. But if we look over there, we're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, the, the measure is Christ. It's not your husband. The measure is Christ. It's not your wife. The measure is Christ and not your pastor. And not the, I get, I was talking to a man, uh, no, because I, I really don't like Joel Olstein. I was like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? There's very few men in this world that honor their dad, that live the legacy 
of God's call upon their family. Everybody else is living for themselves. So he tells them, look, you've done well. Your standards, you said, you're a great mom. You're a great daughter. You, 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 you go to church. You read the Bible. But do you want to be perfect? Do you want to go for gold? Or are you going to continue with, with standards that are convenient to bring into your life? Romans 12, 2, he says it again. Do not set measures according to what this world has set. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Get your thoughts. I, I want to, if, if there's something that I can do this morning in bringing the word of God to the house of God, to God's people, is to say like this, Jesus Christ is perfection and you're called to be like him. He's the measure. Don't settle for less. Don't compromise. Get your thoughts in that direction. Do not be conformed to this world. Transform your mind. And then you'll be able to know what the good, acceptable, and there's that word again, perfect will of God. I I don't know about you, but I want to live God's calling on my life. I'm I'm not settling for less. That's been my problem. If, if I have issues with people, it's like, well, that guy expects me to have one wife my whole life. I want to have a couple. Well, that guy wants me to, to, to know God. And I, I want you to have the full expression of what God created you to have. And, and falling short of that is criminal. Falling short of his perfection. For your kids, for your marriage, for your family. You're going to have to give up what you think is all right. What do I have to do to be perfect? Get rid of everything you're doing. And and be more like me. Follow me. Jesus invited him. In that passage in John chapter 9, we have this expression of Jesus who's bringing perfection because it says that I'm the light of the world. I'm bringing light so people could see. Verse 6, when he said these words, he spit on the ground. And made mud with his saliva. That grosses me out. Especially when he's going to take it and put it on the blind man's eyes. I figure that Jesus' spit is better than anything else. He anointed his eyes. He began to do his works. Super unorthodox. Nobody had ever done that before. And he tells them, go, verse 7, and wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. I love that. Seeing. If that doesn't make the Holy Spirit move in your heart, something's wrong. Get saved all over. Repent. How is this guy coming back? Seeing. You would have to be blind to appreciate that. Last year, my eye went bogus. And for 80 days, I couldn't see out of my right eye. I had to close it. And it's horrible. And the, the people says, well, how do you feel? I said, look, when you have one eyeball, you see better than when you have two. And they're like, that's impossible. How could you see better with one eye than with two? I said, yeah, because when you have one eye, you have to go a lot slower. And you see everything. When you have two eyes, you're going fast. And you don't even look to the side. 
But when you only have one eye, you take care of it and you go slow, lest you trip. And here Jesus is saying, I'm doing a work in this man's life. And when it happens, instead of there being great celebration, people begin to question. Verse 8. They, they were not celebrating. They weren't throwing a party. They weren't going, yeah, this guy could never play kickball with us. He could never play softball. He could never play checkers because he was blind. And now he sees, and the neighbors who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this the man who sat and begged? So they're in shock. I, I could consider that shock being decent. Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He looks like him. And then he said, I am he. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that couldn't see, and now I'm walking in a, in a direction that is beneficial. No longer going to beg. I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to go work. I'm going to go enjoy. Verse 10, so they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he replied, the man called Jesus made mud and smeared it on my eyes and told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. And they asked him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They bring him to the Pharisees, verse 13. They brought the man who was once blind to the Pharisees. It was the Sabbath that Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight, and he said to them, He smeared mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Then some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. That's religion at its best. There's people that come to the house of God to judge whether or not the pastor's preaching will be good or not. I wonder what he's going to do today. Listen, the whole purpose of come is for you to say thank you, God, and worship him. This is not a show this way. This is you that way. And if you were that way, if your expression was towards heaven, understanding that God gave you breath, he gave you life, he gave you everything you enjoy, you wouldn't be bitter. You wouldn't be sad. You wouldn't be frustrated. You, would, you wouldn't be unsatisfied. Because you have a connection. How can this guy break the Sabbath? Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such thing? He has to be from God. And there was a division amongst them. This is religion at its best. Somebody asked me this week, why is there so, so many denominations? I said, Pastor, some people believe in this, other people believe in that. I'm confused. I said, listen, get out of that fray. Quit being a theologian. Quit trying to argue religious things. Look to the author of life. Have a relationship with Christ. He will satisfy you. Nothing else will. The Pharisees were arguing. They were upset. How did he receive his sight? This cannot be from God. It was on the Sabbath. This is, cannot be a sinner because he did miracles. Verse 17, according they, accordingly they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? I, I want you, I want you to, to realize this. When you leave this place and you start living your life towards perfection, the people are going to ask you, what qualifies you to pursue such a life? What do you say about 
what's happening to you. How do you explain this? How do you explain that there's a desire in your heart to have an excellent marriage and incredible kids and a family and grandchildren that have a lineage of blessing? What do you say for yourself? He says, I don't know, but I think he's a prophet. I think he comes from God. Verse 18, however, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind. Now, what everybody knew to be true, the guy's an alcoholic for 35 years. He's a pervert. The Lord heals him. He's striving for, for, for perfection. And now people say, well, he wasn't really an alcoholic. He was a social drinker every four hours <laughs> for 35 years. Now they begin to doubt. That's it. He wasn't born blind. Let's, let's go find his parents. And so they go off in verse 18. They did not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they called this man's parents. Let's go back a little bit further. They asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? No, it's my son who the whole community says he was born blind. This is not particular to my family. This is to the whole world. How does he see then? And his parents says, we do not know. We know that this is our son and he was born blind. But as to how he sees, verse 21, we don't know. And who has opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, stop asking us, for he is old enough to respond for himself. And let him give an account. And they said this in verse 22 because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged Jesus Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. You're going to get out of social lives that aren't pursuing perfection. Remember, nobody's perfect. Yes, they are. You could be the embodiment of a character that is mature and perfect. You could come from a lineage of a bunch. I, I come from a lineage of a lot of men who could care less about God and perfection and marriage. They kept on repeating the same destruction patterns. Ask him, he's old enough. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were scared. Verse 23, because of this, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24, a second time they called him, who had been born blind, and said to him, give God glory and praise, for we know this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. Then he answered, I do not know whether he's a sinner, but one thing I do know. I, though was blind, and now I see. I, there, there's some people that don't understand that God has come into this world, that he raised from the dead, that he's the embodiment of perfection, that if you behold him, you'll be transformed from glory to glory. Amen. As you behold him, you'll be transformed and conformed to his image. Your standards will change because of his spirit that's within you. You won't be satisfied with me mediocrity. I don't know. All I know is I was born blind and now I see. So they said to him, verse 26, what did he actually do? Let's follow this. How did he mess with you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, he answered, I already told you and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again and again? Do you want to become his disciples too? 
You want to follow him also? Why do you continue to scrutinize? I, I, I think that the scrutiny is an issue that is unconcerned with, with inquiry. They, these guys who sit as, as these expert talking heads, that they sit there behind a booth, and I, I don't know if you've seen them, they have full-time jobs in football, in uh, Newsweek, 60 Minutes, all, all these talking, and, and they talk about everything. They talk about politics. They talk about Trump. They talk about the Republicans, the Democrats. They talk, they talk. They talk about how they throw the football, how they catch the football, and they never move from their seat. They don't do anything. He should have thrown it to the left. Hey, mister, you go down there and have 11 guys chasing you, and you throw it to the left. You run a country full of rebellious people and then have an opinion. We were in Israel, and some guy, it was 2007, George Bush was the president of the United States, George Bush Jr., and so I was in the hotel, King David, in Jerusalem, and the guy behind the counter, he says, Bush doesn't know what he's doing. I said, come here, sir. Talk to me about your family. He goes, I lost my family. I said, then why do you have a, an opinion about a man who's leading 150 million families? How dare you have a judgment on somebody who has greater responsibility than you, and you come up with the answer. Well, I think that you think you haven't even started to deal with your own problems, and you have an opinion about other people's problems. And so he says, why can't you guys, do you guys want to follow him too? Do you guys want to get to learn about him? And so here it is. He continues to, verse 28, and, and, and at that remark, they stormed at him and jeered. This guy's in trouble. I, I don't want to tell you that if you ever pursue Christ as the embodiment of perfection, that's, those are fighting words. You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know for certain that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he's from. The man replied, well, this is astonishing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone fears God and does his will, he hears them. Since the beginning of time, verse 20, uh, 32, it has never been heard that anyone has opened the eyes of a man born blind. Controversy. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. Like this, because God would not hear his prayers. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins from head to foot. That's the Amplified. And you presume to teach us? They threw him out. We know that we're flawed. We know that we're broken people. We know that we're messed up. We know where we came from. We know that Jesus has restored us and reconciled us. And he's doing a glorious work in us. This world is not ready to be hearing that. That guy stormed out of here with a piano, and he was upset at me. Because I attempted to tell him to come closer to Christ. And there is the embodiment of reality and perfection. 
When Jesus had heard that he got kicked out of the synagogue, verse 35, when Jesus heard that they had put him out of the synagogue, he found him and says, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I might believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. I love that because he was blind before. And now Jesus says, now you're looking at him and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe your word. And he worshiped him. Verse 39, Jesus said, I came to this world for judgment, to draw a line. For judgment, I've come into the world to draw a line between those who do not see that they may see and to those who see that they may be made blind. I have no doubt that those who come to Christ like this blind man, God will deal with their flaws and their lives will be an expression of pursuit towards perfection. And then those who don't want to see will continue to be more flawed. Colossians 1.28, he says, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching all peoples in wisdom that we might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's the work we do here. That's what we celebrate 20 years of this week. Three times the blind man admitted his flaw. John 9, 12, he says, John 9, 12, let's put it up there. Where is he? He says, I don't know. Verse 25, the blind man admits his flaw. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. John 9, 36. Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? He didn't know. He didn't know who to believe in. He didn't know who had healed him. He didn't know anything. He had admitted not knowing. And three times the Pharisees walked in the pride of what they knew. John 9, 16. Some of the Pharisees says this man is not from God because he's doing something on the Sabbath. John 9, 24. So again, they called the man and says, said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. It was all based on what they knew. Verse uh, 29. Every time they acknowledged knowing something, they went farther down in abysmal ignorance. We know that God spoke to Moses. Every time the blind man confessed he didn't know something, God gave him greater light. Every time they thought they were confessing something they knew, they became greater in darkness. The Bible says professing to be wise, they became fools. 
I just want to leave you guys with a word from the Lord this morning. That you begin to pursue that perfection that we have in Christ. This is not for us to be self-righteous. This is not for us to be pompous. This is not for us to go around parading ourselves. But don't ever, ever, ever allow anyone to strip you from reality. Our God has raised Jesus from the dead. And he's the embodiment of perfection for all the sins that are upon the earth. Let's stand this morning. Father, thank you this morning for your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, that many are blind, but you have healed us so that we might see. Thank you that we were lost and now that we're found. Thank you that your words are a lamp unto our feet. Thank you, God, that you have chosen the broken, the flawed, the messed up things in this world, shameful things to confound the wise. Thank you for your hand being in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for your hand being in our marriages, Lord. If it wasn't for you, we would just continue to be broken families. Thank you that in a broken heart, you say that you're near. Thank you that in messed up lives, the disciples were asking, why, why is he like that? Did he mess up? Did his parents mess up? And you said, no, so that I can do my work. 
so that the works of God would be made manifest so people could see. And even seeing, they became blind. They were not able to understand. They were hanging on to religion and self-righteousness and refused to come to the author of life. Thank you for these 20 years of Spring of Life Fellowship, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that there's a vision to change the world. There's hope. I pray that your character would continue to be perfected in our hearts and in our lives and that maturity would be the expression of our faith until the day of your coming. We pray for you to bless every family represented here, every husband, every wife, every son or daughter, Lord. We have a place to go with our imperfections. You have said, cast your burdens upon me because I care for you. Lord, let us be vertically sighted in our seeing you and not horizontally stuck in the flaws of man. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your hope. Thank you for your love. Transform us, Lord. That we might know your good and perfect and acceptable will. Thank you for this word this morning. And we strive, Lord. Not that we're already there, but we strive to be perfected. To follow your spirit. To be found blameless, Lord, before your coming. We pray for prosperity in our employment. We pray for finances to increase. That we might have a stewardship which honors you, Lord. We glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. <laughs> Greet one another in the love of the Lord. We will be here on Wednesday at 7 o'clock to start off our anniversary celebration. There is